Well, good morning, Diocese of Oregon. <laughs> I am so glad to be with you. Uh, Bishop Akiyama is a very patient woman. And <laughs> And I have to tell you, I've been wanting to come and wanting to come, and uh, COVID and everything else in the world seem to conspire against it, but I don't care about any smoke that may be on the horizon. <laughs> it is so good to be with you, so good to be with you, and for us to be able to gather. Um, well, we know that COVID is not over, but to be able to gather uh, together. And I want to thank your dean who, who, who told me, I think this is kind of an anniversary day for him. Um, he began, was it 10 years ago? 14, but who's counting? 14 years ago. <laughs> On a Sunday like this, that was the beginning of your church year. And Bishop Diana, I want to thank her and her staff and all the people who've been involved in planning. Um, she is a remarkable bishop, and as I... Um, I'm sort of two years away from um, um, enforced retirement, um, which just means that's a formality. I'm still going to do what I do, but, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's But I can tell you this, that um, our church, our world, the Jesus movement that we are a part of in this 21st century, is already blessed, but will be blessed with leaders like Diana Akiyama. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so the beat goes on, and the work continues, and we are in good hands with her. It's good to be here, and I hope you're glad to be here. Now, I, I can't, I'm not sure if we're supposed to do this in COVID, but it's okay. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Just turn and, and tell your neighbor in a COVID respectful kind of way, it sure is good to be here. Just tell them, it sure is good to be here. <laughs> good to be here. We are gathered, um, if you will, um, um, on a weekend when um, Her Majesty, the late Queen Elizabeth II, is uh, being buried, and we uh, pray for her family, for her peoples around the world, um, especially the peoples of, of the United Kingdom and, and Northern Ireland and, and all of the realms and territories. We pray for them and give thanks for the life of one who tried to do good, who tried to do good, and maybe gives us as a world a moment to celebrate that goodness will always, ultimately, triumph over evil and love over hate. And so we thank God for her. May her soul and the souls of all the departed, through the mercies of God, rest in peace and rise in glory. Amen. But we likewise are assembled on this September 11th, and it is important to remember that so many people lost their lives because of hatred. <laughs> 
because of bigotry, because of violence. And it is important to remember those who gave their lives, those who tried to help and save others, and their surviving families, children who no longer see their mama or daddy. And it's important for us to remember them. But maybe, maybe, our most important remembrance of their innocent sacrifice and the life of integrity of a queen is not simply by remembering the past, but daring to rededicate and consecrate ourselves to a different world, a world where people are not killed wantonly, a world where children do not go to bed hungry, a world where every man, woman, and child, every person is seen and treated in the eyes of the law, in our relationships, and in society as children of God. Maybe the way to remember is to rededicate and consecrate ourselves to the work of transforming this world from the nightmare it often can be into the dream that God intends is and is gonna make happen. So, let me give you a song, scripture, and a title for this sermon. <laughs> That's, I haven't gotten into the sermon yet. This was just all, I, 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 this was the trailer to uh, get you ready for the sermon. <laughs> The song you know is the one that says, if you cannot preach like Peter and you cannot pray like Paul, you just tell the love of Jesus, how he died to save us all. Check out that all. And then the refrain, there is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. Y'all know this one? There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. That, that's the song. And then there's the scriptures, two of them, not long. The first one, I hope, will be the one, if I could get the Episcopal Church, Episcopalians to remember one passage of scripture, at least one. <laughs> Just one. Try this, a first John, that's the epistle, not the gospel. First John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God. And those who love are born of God and know God. Those who do not love, this is in the Bible, I'm not making this up, right? <laughs> those who do not love do not know God because God is love. God is love. God is love. First John chapter four, verse seven. <laughs> And then Jesus said, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, that you love one another as I, as God has loved you. Those are the scriptures.
And the message, remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. I was in, um, last night, um, we were together at, at St. Philip's Church here, and we had a wonderful evening together. And uh, being there, I was, and I thought about it later, I remembered I grew up in St. Philip's Church, St. Philip's Church in Buffalo, New York, many years ago. And I remember when I was in the fifth grade, going into the fifth grade, and there was some sort of, and I don't remember the specifics, but a, a desegregation plan in the city of Buffalo. And pretty much everybody who's black lived on what used to be called East Buffalo, on the east side of town. And, and so there was a plan to kind of move kids and bus kids and all that kind of stuff to some different, different schools so that you could attempt some desegregation. And it was when I moved from fourth to the fifth grade that I found myself going from school 37, which was in East Buffalo, in the old black community, where St. Philip's Church actually was located then. And we weren't transported by bus. All we had to do was walk across Main Street, which wasn't far in terms of geographical distance, but it was light years in terms of social distance. <laughs> and so we walked and literally crossed Main Street, and when you crossed Main Street, you were in West Buffalo. And so the small group of us who were from East Buffalo all of a sudden found ourselves in unknown territory. Because in those days, nobody went in anybody else's neighborhoods. So we really were in unknown territory. And it turned out to be a good experience. And there are many stories that members of my staff who are here have heard me tell about that fifth grade experience. I won't regale you with those now. But what I do remember was the Sunday school class the Sunday before the school year started. And our Sunday school teacher, I don't remember what the rest of the lesson was, to be honest. But what I remember was her addressing those of us who were going to be going to a new school, going to a part of the city that we had not spent a great deal of time in. It was actually an Italian neighborhood. These are ethnic neighborhoods to a great extent. And so we were going into a new world. And I remember her telling us, because I don't remember the rest of the lesson. This was in 1963, by the way, so it was a long time ago. I remember her telling us, when you go to this new school, remember where you came from. Remember the community that nurtured you. Remember who you represent. You represent their hopes. You represent their dreams. You represent their aspirations. You represent the hopes of this country to be a better country, a new country, to live into the dream that was at its founding even though it didn't live it out then. You see, the March on Washington had just happened a few weeks before. Remember where you came from. Remember your God. Remember what we've tried to teach you here. And she didn't go on to explain any more than that, or if she did, I don't remember. But what I realized from that was there was great wisdom there. 
Remember where you came from because when you enter new terrain, it will help to orient you when you cannot get oriented by the usual signpost around you. Remember where you came from. Remember your origins. There's a text in Isaiah. Remember Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, your father and Sarah who gave you birth. Remember when the world goes crazy. Remember when things are uncertain and ambiguous. Remember where you came from and you'll figure out how to navigate hard times and different times. I'm, the more, the older I get, the more I am convinced that Jesus came to show us the way to live. He came to show us how to do it because none of us has done this before. Whether you are a child in kindergarten or a senior in a rest home, none of us has ever lived before. I, I, I mean, you know, I mean, now if you're Hindu, you've got another perspective, but, 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 but the rest of us, we have not done this before. We are all freshmen at life, right? I remember, and, and we act like we know what we're doing all the time, but I remember when our children were babies, I said, boy, if this child knew how little their parents knew about raising a child, <laughs> this child would be scared to death. But babies don't know. They don't know. You don't know. And we sometimes act like we know what we're doing all the time when the truth is we really don't. We've never done this before. I remember when our youngest daughter was... Uh, uh, she might have been five, I'm guessing. She probably was about five years old. Anyway, um, um, my wife and oldest daughter, you know, they had gone to school, and, and Sharon was teaching then, and so she dropped uh, Rachel off, and then I would take Elizabeth with me, and we'd go to, I'd take her to the nursery school, and then I'd go on to the church. And um, I remember uh, telling Elizabeth, I said, Elizabeth, it's going to rain later this morning, um, so you need to take your raincoat. And she said, well, it's not raining now. I don't need it now. And I said, look, Elizabeth, it's going to rain um, later on. Uh, she said, but it's not raining now. I said, Elizabeth. And she actually went in the living room, pulled the curtain back, and opened it up and said, look, it's not raining out there. I mean, she's 31 years old now, and the same personality obtains. But none... <laughs> anyway, she said, it's not raining out there. She said, how do you know it's going to rain? And then I thought, okay, let me, let me approach this as a teachable moment. Um, I said, well, you know, I, I, I checked in the newspaper, and, you know, I looked at the weather forecast, and it said it's going to rain. And um, Al Roker on TV uh, said <laughs> it, it was going to rain. Um, and then she came back and said, but Mommy didn't say it was going to rain. <laughs> I said, oh, man, this is a humbling experience. So finally, I did what all parents do after a while. I just said, Elizabeth, go get your raincoat, and let's go. <laughs> So we went, and, and I took her to the nursery school and took her inside and gave her to the teacher, and I came back out in the car, and I sat in the car, and I sat there, and as a part of me said, you know something? She actually thought she knew better than I did. I've been on this earth multiple times longer than she's even been thought of. And then I thought, you know what? That must be what we look like to God. <laughs> yeah. 
acting like we really know on our own what to do and how to live. And God must, I swear, God must look at us and kind of, with that cosmic smile, put his hand on his holy hips and say, they are so cute. <laughs> they actually think they know what they're doing. But the truth of the matter is, they don't, they really don't know. Um, and, and I know what, 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 what I've got to do. I've tried to show them when, 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 with Noah in the flood, I, and that didn't work. And then I, I tried to show them, you know, with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, and, and that didn't work. And so I tried to show them with Moses, and well, that didn't work either. And I tried to show them with Judges, and, and it, I'm taking you through the whole Old Testament, with Judges, and, and his, that didn't work. And then I, I tried to show them with very kings and monarchs, and that definitely didn't work. Um, then I sent prophets. They still didn't get, they, they arrested my prophets and threw them in prison. That didn't work. Uh, I sent them John the Baptist, and he was a wild brother. They still didn't get that one. <laughs> And so finally, I just said, I got to come down there myself and show them how to live. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I say all of that to say that God came among us in the person of Jesus to show us how to live. He came to show us how to live as the children of the one God who is the creator of us all, the one God from whom we all descend. And last time I checked, if we all had the same parents, stay with me on this one. <laughs> if we all had the same parents, that means we are siblings. Am I right? That means we are related. That means we are family. Last time I checked, we all have one source and origin, the Lord God Almighty. And if we all are children of that same God, then that means we are brothers, sisters, siblings. We are family, whether we like it or not. We may be dysfunctional, but we are family nonetheless. And I'm convinced. <laughs> I'm convinced that Jesus came to show us how to live not as individualized collections of self-interest. He came to show us how to live as the human family of God, as the family of God that's part of God's grand and glorious creation, as the family that the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only son that Jesus came. Jesus came to help us remember where you came from. And the truth is, we came from the God who the Bible says is love. Do you realize how stunning that is? The, the, the God who the Bible says is love, which means we were made by the hand of love. We were made to live in the power and the reality of love. We were, we were made to love, to be loved, and to live in love. And we as a human race, as a human community, are at our best when we live in love. Now, I know somebody's thinking, no preacher, that sounds nice in church. But it's rough out there. Well, I'm glad you made that comment. <laughs> and yet, I want to submit that there is no other way 
for human civilization to survive except the way of unselfish, sacrificial love. We got some issues here in this country. I don't need to make the list. We'd be here all day long. We got some issues. This very democracy of which we are a part is at stake. I never thought I would ever worry about the actual democracy of the country. I grew up with civil rights workers. They never questioned that the democracy would hold. They questioned that whether it would live up to its promises. Now, it's not just a question of whether it will live up to its promises. It is a question of will this democratic republic endure? And even more to the question, in the midst of facing climate change, will we endure on Mother Earth? Dr. King said it well, we will either learn to live together as brothers and sisters or we will perish together as fools. The choice is ours, chaos or community, and we must choose community. The truth is, love is the only way to do that. When I was in the fifth grade, that year we were desegregated, our teacher was a woman named Miss Lenny from Scotland, where the queen's body is this morning. She used to tell us stories of, of her Scotland, her native land. She would always tell us about this country where she came and she and her family found the hope of freedom and prosperity. It was in that fifth grade class that, I guess in the social studies part of it, where she taught us about the great seal of the United States. And you know the great seal is the one you see behind um, the president, vice president, and all of them. And it's the, it's the one that has the Latin words e pluribus unum on it, with the eagle, you know, with the um, arrows in one hand, hand, in one Italian, and, and olive branches in the other. And above, e pluribus unum, from many, one. And she told us that that's Latin for from, from many, one, from many diverse peoples one nation. During the, while we were at home during the pandemic, I did some research. Actually, I got this guy right here. He's got the PhD. I don't. So I got Chuck Robertson. I said, Chuck, <laughs> where does this e pluribus unum actually come from? And he dug it up and he said, it definitely is clear. It comes from the writings of Cicero of the Roman Republic. And so I did a little bit more and went into Cicero and discovered that it likely came from when Cicero, check this out, was writing about how the Roman family was constituted in the days of the Republic. And Cicero went on to say that the Roman family is not constituted primarily by blood ties. He said the family is actually a unit constituted, and this is the quote, when one person cares about another person as much as they care about themselves, then, he wrote, e pluribus unum becomes possible. When people learn to love others as much as they love themselves, e pluribus unum becomes possible. America, hear me now. You will be America when we learn to live in the love of the God who made us in the first place. 
when we learn to live as God's human family, then we will do justice. Then we will love mercy. Then we will walk humbly with our God. Then we will make sure every child is educated. Then we will make sure every human being is cared for as a child of God. Then everyone will be equally respected in the eyes of the law as they are in the eyes of God. And then, maybe then, maybe then, we may become God's human family, God's beloved community. That's why Jesus came, to show us how to live. Well, let me bring this to a conclusion. And I'm going to take a risk here and come down together. Oh, look at that bird. There she is. Thank you, my sister. Now, I'm going to come to the middle because I know the camera won't see me if I don't. Am, am I okay? Am I okay, Bishop? Am I getting close, Dean? Is, can we... I know, but uh, <laughs> when I went off to college, um, I was young and thin <laughs> and didn't have gray hair. And I remember I was about to go off to school and was in the car with my daddy. And we were going somewhere. And just out of nowhere, he just said, you know, when you go, go off to school, I want you to treat every girl, treat every girl like that girl was your sister. And I remember, I mean, I actually did have the thought. I said, man, you have just ruined four years of college. <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, I was 16 or 17 and I had plans. And, uh, you know, <laughs> <it was, laughs> but I knew what he was getting at because he did say that kind of thing all that he did when we were growing up. He said, treat every girl like she is your sister, the way you want somebody else to treat your sister. Treat every boy like your brother, the way you want somebody else to treat your brother. Every woman like your mother. Every man like your father. Every person like they are a member of your family. Show them the same honor, love, and respect that you want for your own kinfolk. And then don't stop there with your immediate family. Then go out into the world. This was the charge he gave me, and now I give you. Then go out into the world and work so that every man, woman, and child, every person is treated as a member of the human family of God, the beloved community, and work until this world is a world where everybody is God's somebody. And then... And then, and then our republic will be saved. And then there will be peace in Ukraine. And then immigrants and refugees will find a home. And then every man and woman and every person will sit under their own vine and fig tree and will lay down our swords and shields down by the riverside to study war no more. So if you cannot preach like Peter, and you cannot pray like Paul, you just tell the love of Jesus, how he died to save us all. There is a bomb in Gilead to 
make the wounded whole. Remember who you are.